Welcome to Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. Well, I want to start this morning with a a question that I've gotten from several of you about hope. You know, we've been doing this series on hope, uh, and we've stepped through the Bible. The first week was on the Psalms, then we talked about where God's hope comes through the prophets and then the Gospels. Uh, And uh, the question that I keep getting is, what happens in situations that really are hopeless? You know, I'm, uh, none of these are the specific questions I've gotten, but I, I, I'm just as an example. What about someone who is homeless and mentally ill? Uh, where is their hope? What about someone who is terminally ill, and, and where is their hope? And it's an important question because there are times when our hope in this world does run out. Uh, And I will tell you that that hasn't been addressed very much in much of what we've read going through Scripture so far in the Old Testament. Oh, it's there. However, it doesn't become a focus until we get to the very end of the series, and that's next week. Next week, we're going to do it on Revelation, so be sure to to, 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 to uh, uh, come back next week for that because it should really be something. We're going to tackle all of Revelation in one sermon. Doesn't that sound like fun? Try being the one who writes it. (laughs) But... The simple truth is that there are times in this world where our efforts and even the efforts of those around us are not far enough. And that's when we need to trust in something bigger than ourselves. We have to rely on hope that comes from beyond ourselves. That's what we're going to see next week in Revelation, and that's what we see at least woven into the middle of things even as we've gone along so far. And I have a wonderful example for you. In fact, it was how I was going to start this week's sermon anyway, but those questions I got just made it all the more obvious. And unfortunately, I missed the calendar by one week because I want to start by talking about mothers. Last week was Mother's Day, of course. And not everyone is blessed with a mother that's like things are supposed to be. But for most of us, mothers are the first ones who teach us hope. You know, one thing I learned uh, when, uh, when my kids were toddlers is the power of the game peekaboo. Now, it seems so simple, of course, right? But when you hide behind the blanket and say peekaboo, as far as that toddler is concerned, you really have gone away. <laughs> Their brains haven't developed enough to have a sense that you're still there behind the blanket. If it's not right in front of them, they're not de- their brains are not developed enough yet to understand that. And that's what makes it so good. You're doing a magic trick. You're disappearing and coming back and that's why it's so exciting. But it also explains why a toddler will cry over spilled milk, because as far as they're concerned, the milk in that cup was all there is. And it's reason to cry, because the milk is gone, and as far as they know, it's gone forever. Who wouldn't cry about such a thing? Mothers, however, and of course fathers and all too, but for the sake of Mother's Day last week, I'll say mothers. Mothers, however, know better they know that there's a jug in the refrigerator. And if it's like most families, there's like three or four jugs of milk in the refrigerator because that's what it takes to get through a week these days. Oh, sorry, was that personal? (laughs) And they know that even if the milk in the refrigerator runs out, there's even more at the grocery store. And so even though the toddler can't grasp the idea of the jug in the fridge or the jug at the grocery store, the mother can. And because the mother is calm and knows it's going to get better, the toddler does too. The child learns to trust the hope from mom. 
Now, of course, it also doesn't hurt that the mom helps to change the pants that have gotten all wet and cold and icky, but, you know, that's another thing after spilled milk. <laughs> but our parents are some of the first ones we learn hope from, and it continues going throughout our life, too, through problems in school, through breakups, through going out on our own. Moms and dads and all of them are our biggest cheerleaders precisely because they know us better than we know ourselves because they know that there is good in store. And we can't help but believe it for ourselves too. Hope is contagious, and sometimes it's beyond what we can see. So for Paul today, let's get into it. Uh, Paul, uh, well, let's see, we, we started with the Psalms, the Prophets, and the Gospels, and all that. Paul wrote a bunch of letters that are in the New Testament. If you don't know your Bible very well, the New Testament starts out with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels, the story of Jesus. And then are a bunch of uh, thin little books. They're actually letters that were written to churches in different places. So the book of Romans was a letter written to the church in Rome. Philippians was written to the church in Philippi. Uh, and you may not realize it, but the Gospels were actually written later, about 75 years after Jesus' uh, death, when they were written down. So the letters of Paul actually came first. Some of them were written by Paul himself, some were other, written by others in his tradition, and scholars debate on that, but it's not important for today. But I do want you to know a little bit of Paul's story, because I think it helps explain uh, part of where he gets his hope from. So Paul wasn't always named Paul. His name started out Saul. And Saul was one of those hard line uh, in, the, in the Jewish community out of which Jesus came that thought Christianity was wrong and even dangerous. And so he spent his time uh, persecuting the Christians. He was going after them, chasing them down, arresting them, in many cases hurting them, trying to stamp out this Christian movement that was uh, starting in the world. He was very sure of himself. And then one day, as he was traveling to Damascus to uh, continue that work of uh, stamping out Christianity there, there, he sees this bright light on the road, a, a light so bright that it blinds him. And he hears the voice that he would uh, uh, soon realize was the voice of Jesus. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me and those who love me and whom I love? And Paul fell to the ground, and he remained blind for several days. Uh, his friends uh, get, him into a, get him into a home. And while he's there, God sends a person named Ananias. And Ananias goes and talks Paul through what happened. Paul processes these events and everything. I mean, here he was thinking Jesus was nothing. And then what does he do with his experience on the road? And Ananias helps him to work through it. I think it's, uh, I think it's easy enough to argue that Paul's faith didn't come through the blinding light on the road so much as it did through his conversation with Ananias, the person that God sent to help him work through it. And then Paul goes on. Oh, and at the end of it, uh, almost uh, symbolically, in fact, very much symbolically, scales fall from Paul's eyes and he can see again, uh, both literally and, of course, figuratively. And he goes on to start all of these churches and write all of these letters that form a good part of the New Testament today. And they really are amazing letters. You, can, uh, you could spend a whole life studying them. And some people disagree with some of the things that Paul has to say in them. And that's good. They keep challenging us the, for all of our life. But when we ask where hope is in Paul's letter, 
Well, in many ways, it's the same answer as we heard in the Gospels. They're embodied in what Paul does. Paul does talk about hope quite a bit. He talks about the living hope. And just like with Jesus, you can see, his, you can see hope playing out in the actions he takes. Now, I don't want to repeat last week's sermon. You all, if you missed it, you can go back and watch it or, or watch it again or something. But the biggest place we find hope in Paul is in what he does and in his actions. But I never like doing the obvious thing. So today, I kind of want to go around the edge of Paul because I think there's another important lesson about hope that is oftentimes missed in these letters. Now, you know how some people call Nebraska a flyover state? You know what I mean? When you're going from New York to LA, you fly over Nebraska. Uh, have you ever heard of a flyover scripture? That's what I call them anyway. They're the parts of the Bible that we tend to just kind of glaze over, you know, to get to, the, to get to the good parts, things like the genealogies, the fact that the book of Numbers is called the book of Numbers for a reason at times. You know, there are parts that we tend to fly over, but there are some flyover parts in Paul's letters that I think are more important than we give them credit for. Let me read one of them to you here. It's Romans chapter 16. It's the end of the letter, and he's giving a greeting to the people who are there. Timothy, my co-worker, says hello to you, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my relatives. I'm Tetrius, and I'm writing this letter to you in the Lord. Hello, must have been the scribe writing it down. I just love how he just says, I'm the one writing to you. Hello. <laughs> Gaius, who is host to me in the whole church, says hello to you. Erastus, the city treasurer, says hello to you, along with our brother Quartus. Now, that's a flyover scripture, isn't it? <laughs> You know, if you came across that, you'd probably just uh, skim right over it. You know, I don't even know who those people are. Yet in every one of Paul's letters, I think in every single one, he spends time thanking people by name, naming the people that he misses and that he wishes he could see again soon. Sometimes if he knows they're going through a struggle, he'll include a prayer for them as well. And whenever I see these, it makes me want to say, who is it for me? You know, if I were writing a letter to Trinity, you know, it's like, let's just say I were gone for a month and I were writing a letter back, who would I say? Now, I'm tempted to like name people in the room, but I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable or call them out. So I'll say Michael, because I'm, I'm, I'm okay making him uncomfortable. You know, I might say, oh, I miss seeing Michael and his music. I hope he's doing well. And Jill in the office who organizes so much of what we do and Patty who's with our children. Uh, I hope they're well. You know, that's what Paul is doing. He's naming these people in part because he cares, but in part because they're important to his own hope. Don't skim over that section just because you've never met Lucius and Jason or because you don't know how to pronounce Sosipater. Pro tip, I don't know how to pronounce it either. I'm guessing right now. <laughs> but they were important to Paul and they were part of his hope and that makes, them, that makes them part of our hope, too. You know, our official scripture today that we heard a few minutes ago was this. To those in Rome who are dearly loved by God and called to be God's people, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because, of the, news, because the news of your faithfulness is being spread throughout the world 
I serve God in my spirit by preaching the good news about God's Son, and God is my witness that I continually mention you. God is my witness that I continually mention you. Everywhere he goes, he's telling people about his friends in Rome. I'm always asking that somehow, by God's will, I might succeed in visiting you at last. I really want to see you to pass along some spiritual gift to you so that you can be strengthened. What I mean is that we can mutually encourage each other while I am with you. We can be encouraged by the faithfulness we find in each other, both your faithfulness and mine. Uh-oh. I think I, lost my, I think I lost it on the screen there. I see, uh, okay. Tell you what, we don't need the graphic. Let's just leave the hope thing up. Thank you. <laughs> the, uh, my, my, uh, I, I preach from my iPad, and uh, sometimes it loses its connection to the screen. So you all probably remember, if you've been here the la- any of the last few weeks, you may remember the cycle that we've been talking about. Uh, it's a cycle that comes from Walter Brueggemann, who studies the Old Testament, and he says that there are different seasons in life. There are times when we, are, when life, when we feel oriented, and in seasons of orientation, we're sure of ourselves. We know what we're doing. Life is comfortable in a good way. Then there are seasons of disorientation. So maybe uh, we have an illness, or we lose someone that we love or that's important to us. Maybe there's a divorce involved, or uh, perhaps a, a pandemic. All of these things can send us into a season of disorientation, and then seasons of reorientation. Now, reorientation is different than just being oriented because we're not as comfortable. You know, we appreciate it more. We're like, we were, we were at the depths, and God saved us, and here we are. We've managed to get out of that time. And it's helpful to consider where we are now. And the different parts of the Bible tend to speak to different parts of that cycle too. The prophets, for instance, mostly spoke to people who were disoriented at the bottom of that cycle, promising them that good would come. Jesus mostly uh, helped to reorient people, actively move people into reorientation. It strikes me that if you picture this as a big circle, this cycle, Paul's life was like a -a tilt-a-whirl. It really was. It was like a tilt-a-whirl. Paul doesn't speak to any one part of that cycle. He's going around it like crazy. Remember when he was Saul and he was opposed to all the Jesus followers, he was so sure of himself and he thought he was on solid ground and oriented, but then his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus put him into a season of incredible disorientation. And then God sent Ananias and Ananias helped him regain his footing and see who Jesus really was. And he became comfortable again, and this was just a matter of days. (laughs) As he goes throughout his journey from town to town, there are times he would preach the gospel and be so sure of his hope, and then he would be beaten, and he would be thrown in prison. And, And even though his assuredness came back, there had to have been moments where he was disoriented, where he was losing it. Uh, And through all of it, through going around this cycle again and again, Uh, you see that it only makes his faith stronger. You see it only makes his hope even greater. I think about the letter to Philippians uh, in part because Philippians was written from prison and yet is the most joyful of his letters. He writes this from prison. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually advanced the gospel. 
The whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else knows I'm in prison for Christ. Most of the brothers and sisters have had more confidence through the Lord to speak the word boldly and bravely because of my jail time. Now, you should know that this was not prisons like we know it today. These prisons were basically a hole in a rock, and they would lower you into it. And he wrote these words of great hope from there. But if you turn a little bit earlier in the book, if you turn and read the first part of it, you see that he's thanking his friends again that there he is thanking the people in Philippi. And it's clear that a big part of what's keeping him hopeful is remembering the good people who are part of his journey and being thankful for them. That his hope is being fed through the hope of his friends. Now, we should add that he's forming new relationships along the way. And so for him, as he surrounds himself with more and more people who discover hope anew from him, it also feeds his hope and helps him to be even more hopeful. Now, to me, that's the unnamed undercurrent in the epistles, the letters of Paul, that God works through relationships to strengthen our hope. Our relationship with Jesus comes first, just like Paul first met Jesus on the road with the blinding light. But nearly always, that hope is strengthened and made whole and fed through the people that are around us. It's mediated through each other. Now, that brings us back to our official scripture today. Do you remember the last two verses of it? I'll read them for you again. I really want to see you pass along some spiritual gift so that you can be strengthened. What I mean is that we can mutually encourage each other while I am with you. We can be encouraged by the faithfulness we find in each other, both your faithfulness and mine. And I think Paul would agree that we could use the word hope just as, just as well. Our hope is, is encouraged by each other. Our hope is increased by each other's hope because hope is contagious. And if we want to be people of hope, there's no better way than to surround ourselves with hopeful people. Now, I've known several people in my time as a pastor who have lost a child. Now, oftentimes it's adult children, but I will tell you that I can't even begin to imagine the pain. You know, I'm a parent of elementary school-aged kids, and I honestly, I can't even think about it too much. I can't even think about it because I can't imagine it. You know, we talked, started out by talking about how mothers teach us to hope. But what, happened, what happens when a mother or a father can't share that hope anymore with their child? I, I can't even imagine. But there's one couple in particular that I'm thinking about today. Now, I will tell you that I've combined a couple stories of people just to make sure I'm not, I don't want to betray any privacy or confidences of the past. But I am thinking about one or two couples in particular as I tell you this. This is about real people. These parents had a deep sense of faith and of hope, yet the death of their child weighed on them like a ton of bricks. They were in danger of being crushed. Now, they did buckle. They did buckle, but they were in danger of being crushed. I learned a lot by watching them as their pastor. 
Now, I wouldn't have blamed them if they had isolated for a while, if they had cut themselves off. If they hadn't come to church for a month or two or three, I wouldn't have blamed them, and I would not have been surprised. But they didn't. The day after the funeral, they showed up for a church event. Now, I will tell you, me and the rest of us in the church, we didn't know how to talk to them. <laughs> I mean, here's people going through something that we can't even imagine. It was hard enough on the funeral. What do, you, what do you even say? But there they were the day after. Everyone was surprised to see them, but you see, they needed their church friends more than ever, and they knew it. They knew, they were advanced and mature enough in their own faith to know that if, they, that, that if they stayed away, they wouldn't have the benefit of the other people around them and the hope that is shared. Now, I don't think they would have said it using the word hope, but that's what they were after. They needed assurance that there is more to the world than the loss that was consuming them. They needed to see proof in others that happiness is still attainable. They needed evidence that if better days are there for someone else, that it can be again for them too. And once we all got comfortable with each other again, it was there. But there's more. There's another chapter to this story. Years later, there was someone else in the community who lost a child. Now, this couple that I'm telling you about they immediately jumped out of their chairs, and they went to be with that family. They were not afraid to call them like so many others were because they knew precisely how hard it was. Now, again, I don't think they would have used the word hope, though they might have, but this couple had become living proof that though the pain never quite goes away, though the pain never quite stops, they were living proof that there are better days ahead, even in such a difficult and disorienting time. And they wanted to share that hope with someone that they knew needed it. And as it says in Romans, the passage we just read, we can be encouraged by the faithfulness we find in each other, both your faithfulness and mine. So, Here's what you need to do. Seek out hopeful relationships. Seek them out. It is great when others share their hope with you, but don't start there. You start by sharing your hope with them, just in your smile, just in your living proof that good times are a thing and that good days and smiles are possible. Tend to your relationship with Jesus, who is hope, and in all of it, know that God always has better days in store. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you for all the examples in our life that whenever dark days come, there is always hope. Thank you for the assurance that we see in Jesus and so many more that even when the options in this life do run out, even when they honestly do, that you still see something bigger, that just as a toddler can't imagine the jug of milk in the refrigerator, so we can't imagine the reality that you see beyond us. 
Help us to be comforted and to be calmed by you, our great mother and our great father. And may we put our trust in you. May we find our hope in you. And may you lead us every day of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.